Well, good morning. First of all, thank you very, very much for your uh, generous uh, donation and support of uh, our trip to Kenya in, in June. Uh, we don't have a cent to our name, so these kinds of things are a confirmation for us that God's hand is in this, and he's using the generation of others to make this uh, possible. And this is more than just a, a donation. It's an investment in the lives of a number of Kenyan pastors. And um, the cool thing about this is that um, the vast majority of these pastors that we hope to take through the True Identity materials are graduates of the Divine Providence Training Center. Uh, which you are probably well familiar with. That that's uh, the pastors' training center that we partner with in Kenya, and that uh, Beth Casey and um, Sally uh, founded together. Sally Gresham founded together. All of a sudden, I, you know, yeah. having a <laughs> somebody said that's called Halfheimer's. I'm not sure if that's that's true or not, but it's. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, so we we are looking forward to bringing this to the uh, the two classes that have graduated so far from Divine Providence Training Center, and the class that's currently in session as well. So we're all caught up. Everybody will have learned that material. Um, so this morning we are coming to the conclusion of the core message of true identity. And what we've learned so far in the first couple of weeks is uh, in week one. For those of you that were not here. Um, we talked about a mistaken identity. Um, where do we get a mistaken identity? Where do we get identity from apart from a relationship with God? And then last week, uh, we talked about lies, which are the core of a mistaken identity. Lies that are being presented to us often as lures, as things that seem attractive, seem to make sense, but are out of sync with God's purpose for our creation and God's plan for our lives. And we hear those lies, and then we start playing with them, we start receiving them into our thinking, then we start eventually believing those lies, we absorb them into our belief system, and those lies then become strongholds, and eventually they can cause bondage, and then those lies control us, and all of our actions and our way of life. And we talked about the fact that um, understanding or getting free from those lies begins with recognizing what those lies are by knowing the truth. Remember, I, I used that illustration of a bank teller, how they teach bank tellers to look for counterfeit monies by letting them handle real money so much so that they feel in their fingertips exactly what real money feels like, and then when they receive a counterfeit bill, they can immediately feel that there's something wrong with this bill. Even though they might not be able to completely define what is wrong at that moment, they feel there's something wrong. And so the more we know the truth, the more we're going to be able to recognize lies. And I encourage you to spend some time this week, and I hope you've done that. I'm not, there's not going to be a test or anything, um, to Kind of look into your soul and see, is there any lies, any subtle deceptions that I have embraced in my life that have skewed my perspective on who I am and who God is and how he wants me to live? So now today, we're going to talk about our true identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And in order to understand that being a new creation in Christ, we first have to go back to the beginning. I mentioned early on, I think in the first session, that God has created us in his own image for a particular purpose. Namely, to have 
dominion and rule over his creation, and that we as human beings are the only creatures, the only species that are made after God's image. None other, no other creatures or species have that. We are the only ones who have the nature of God hardwired into us and have been placed into a position of royal stewardship. That was the purpose of mankind. That's why he created people. Genesis 1.26, well-known verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image, our meaning the Trinity, Jesus and God working together, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in Psalm 8 we read, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. There is a position of royalty in there, which was a brilliant plan. And of course, we know this story. We've mentioned the story in the context of the lies of the early deception of how Satan and why Satan would target these only beings that were created in God's image in order to work through them to wrest dominion away from God over the universe. That's his plan. That's his purpose. And so we know the story of early, of man's disobedience, and that resulted in a separation from God. Man lost his intimate relationship with God, and with that he lost his true identity of who he was. Now, sin nature has entered him. And that wasn't part of man's true identity in God's creation. The sin nature, that nature that causes us to want to be our own God and rebel against him, is what makes us susceptible to the lies we talked about earlier. Sin is what caused man to veer away from God and from what God created him to be. Now fortunately, and that is what we're about to celebrate this week, uh, this week is Easter week, which is supposed to be our biggest week in church celebration where we celebrate the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And essentially the core of what Jesus did on the cross through his death and his subsequent resurrection for our justification was to purchase for us our the regaining, the restoration, if you will, of our true identity. When we turn our lives over to Christ... When we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we enter into relationship with God, and when he brings his Holy Spirit to live in us, God restores in us our true identity, and he restores in us the spiritual capacity to remember who we are, who he created us to be. Then as we grow in our faith, as we go along, our inner lives then begin to portray a struggle between the lies that we had embraced and the truths of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And spiritual growth occurs when the lies diminish and the truth in us begins to abound. That's kind of how that works in the process of restoration. Um, as an example of that, I was um, grew up and as a young adult was really locked into the a lot of lies about who I was and what people had said I was, and I believed all of that, and it led to a really deep depression in my life, and I was really in the stronghold of depression for many years, even though I was a believer at the time. 
And it wasn't until I really uh, began to understand more about who I was in Christ and who he was in me, and this verse about 2 Corinthians 5.17, and that we are a new creation in Christ. He doesn't just do a makeover. He makes us new from the inside out. He regenerates us. He restores us to that right relationship with him. And as I began to understand that better, um, I was beginning to be set free then from the depression, from the lies, and uh, it was an incredible journey, and I'm so thankful. And it made me think a lot about butterflies. And we know how butterflies start out, right? They start out as a caterpillar, and they're just crawling around, and they get stepped on a lot, <laughs> drove, drove, drive over them, and, you know, they're, they're very lowly, and they're small creatures. But then they go into, and they make this cocoon, and they go into this cocoon, and they're in that for a while, and they are totally transformed. And when they come out of that cocoon, they're a completely different-looking creature, and they can fly. They're no longer bound to being crawling around on the ground, but now they have wings and they can fly. And I thought, that's what God wants for us as his children. He wants us to be free to fly and to be all that he created us to be. And so um, it's, it's the death of the old me and the resurrection of the new me, just as we talked about with Easter coming. The old me, the caterpillar, is now gone. In Romans 6, 6, we're told that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. And Ephesians 4.22 tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I am now free in the new me, the butterfly. As Romans 6, 7 tells us, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 tells us that to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's all part of that transformation. It's like we're in that cocoon and God is transforming. He's transforming our thinking. He's transforming our understanding. He's setting us free from the lies to be set free, to be that butterfly. And God has changed our nature, but then it's also our responsibility to change our behavior. That's that's our part, is that when once we know the truth and we know where we're supposed to be going, then we need to we need to follow after that. We need to believe it. We need to embrace it. We need to act on it. Because we know that what we believe is often what we act out of. So Whatever you're believing, if it's a lie, you're going to act out of the lie. If it's the truth, you're going to act out of the truth and walk out in the truth. So embracing and living in our true identity is a result of knowing who and whose we truly are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And so when we look about Jesus, when we look at Jesus dying on the cross this week, it's way more than just atonement for our sin. Jesus' death and resurrection opened the door for a full restoration of our relationship with God and a host of spiritual blessing that combined together in forming our true identity in Christ. Listen to these from Ephesians chapter 1 to 4, which is, there's are four chapters, four of my favorite chapters in the scriptures. They are rich with the promises and descriptions of who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ. First of all, in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, we are holy and blameless before him. 
That alone is absolutely amazing. It's a gift because in our flesh we are far from. But through Christ, we are holy and blameless before him. There's not a spot of guilt on us. We have been adopted by him as his sons and daughters in verse 5. We have been redeemed through him. Our worthless lives have been given worth and a purpose and a mission. We have been forgiven in verse 7. We can know him and we can know his will. We can discern his will in verse 9. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit for all eternity in verse 13. God made us alive with Christ in chapter 2 verse 5. We have been saved from eternal punishment and condemnation. We are his workmanship in chapter 10, in uh, chapter 2 verse 10. And that means essentially we are his masterpiece. You are a masterpiece, which is amazing. We have been reconciled to God where there was a chasm, a division, a a uh, an abhorrence on his part. We have been reconciled and brought back into relationship of love with him. In 2 verse 16, we have access to the Father. We can pray at any given moment and he hears us and he answers us and he interacts with us. We're able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think in chapter 3 verse 20. We have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness in chapter 4, 424. So through our forgiveness, our redemption, our adoption, our sealing with the Holy Spirit, we have been restored to all that God created us to be. His heirs, his masterpieces, members of his household, sons and daughters, citizens of heaven instead of this earth, members of his body, partakers of his promises, and even more so, his own personal dwelling place. You and I have become his temples. No longer living in a building of brick and mortar, he lives in us. He indwells us. So in order to combat lies of guilt and condemnation and inadequacy, it is crucial that we remember on a daily basis, we wake up, to who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. A lot of us walk around with low self-esteem or or some sense of self-hatred, even though we have learned to hide it well. And essentially that is not a poor self-image. It comes down to it being a poor God image. Because if we have a low self-esteem, we don't understand who God has made us to be and who he is in us. And the answer is not getting more self-esteem. It is learning to esteem Christ in us. Don't believe any of this, you know, got to get yourself in self-esteem up. That's not, we're still worms when it comes to that. God doesn't value our flesh and our sinful nature. He values the nature of Christ in us. So by us learning to esteem the nature of Christ in us, our confidence rises, our freedom from guilt rises, our self-condemnation and self-hatred dissipates because we know that Christ lives in us and that is what God values in us. And so believing who we are in Christ destroys feelings of inferiority. Believing where we are in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms, 
destroys feelings of insecurity. We don't have to fear or worry about anything when we are in Christ and when His love and His security and His protection and His provision envelops us. Believing who Christ is in us destroys feelings of inadequacy. We know that in Christ we can do all things and we can be all things. Why? Because His all-powerful godly nature lives in us. So when we have reached that point, when we embrace that, my identity is no longer what happened to me as a childhood, uh, as a child or as a young adult, but what is happening to me through Christ. The core of it is this, and this never ceases to amaze people, especially overseas. And I remember the stories that Jennifer uh, told us from Kenya um, about how these women who are treated as property a lot of times by their husbands woke up to this message. And that is this, that we are royalty. We are princes and princesses. 2 Corinthians six eighteen says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, says the King of Kings. And if the King of Kings says that about you and me, it means that you and me, we are princesses and princes of the Most High God. Likewise, Jesus proclaimed in uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, but to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now we have to understand something. Not everybody are sons and daughters of God. You have to be born from above. So you have to be embraced, you have to have embraced the salvation of Jesus Christ. You have to have accepted Him as His Lord, as your Lord and Savior, and be given the Holy Spirit and come alive with the Holy Spirit. At that point, you have entered in a relationship with Him that makes you a son and daughter of the King of Kings and makes you royalty, makes you a prince. And a princess. I bet you, you don't spend a whole lot of time thinking of yourself as a princess or a prince. My teenage daughters do for some reason, but, but you know, we, we don't feel that way uh, a lot of times. Men, for us, there is a, a component to it as well that we are royal priests. First Peter 2, 9 and 11 says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we are commanded as men. I've I've scoured the scriptures for passages that speak to men in general, not fathers and husbands, but men. And lo and behold, 1 Timothy 2, I commend that men lift up holy uh, hands and pray at all times. That's a priestly task. The proclamation of Christ is a priestly task. Making Christ visible in our lives is a priestly task. We are royal priests. So we have been brought into a relationship with Christ, men. A father-son relationship. Whereby we are first and foremost sons of the one true king. And our purpose in this day and age is first 
and foremost that of priests, royal priests. And so we're sons, we're princes, we're priests. In Romans 8, 5, uh, 8, 15, rather, we read that we have been given the spirit of adoption, of sonship, through whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba means dad. Um, I heard a little thing by Max Lucado not too long ago where he's walking in Jerusalem and he falls in step behind a, an Orthodox rabbi and, and he was out walking with his little kids and he, they were crossing the street and his little daughter three years of age maybe, lagged a little behind, and as they crossed the street, she couldn't keep up, and she cried out, Abba, Abba, Abba! And instantly the father turns around and gathers her up in her arms and carries her to safety, and he thought, isn't that a picture of what our Heavenly Father is and does? Sometimes father is almost too formal. Abba means dad. We have been given the right to call God dad. And even more striking, in Hebrews 2.11, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. So Jesus, the Savior and the King of Kings, is my brother. It's dad and brother. We are family. Princes, co-princes, a co-prince with Jesus. Princes as sons of the living God. So what does that look like for the ladies? In Isaiah 62.3, I love this verse. It says, you will be crowned, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of the Lord. And when I went to Kenya for the first time and shared this message with a group of 19 women, pastors and ministry leaders, and we got to this point where we started talking about that they were a daughter of the king. And one of them raised their hand and said, well, is that really true? Nobody's ever told us that before. And, you know, where can you show us that in the Bible? And I showed them these verses that Remco just read and this other verse. And, and there's, is this really, really true? And I said, yes, this is really true. And you can see almost within a minute's time their whole countenance changed. And very soon after that we had a break to go have tea. They do that a lot over there. And the women got up and they started going around the room and introducing themselves as, hello, Princess Jennifer, it's nice to meet you. I'm Princess Rahab. I'm Princess Lucy. And it was amazing. I, and, and for the rest of the time that we had together, they were different. And they were so excited. They said, we can't wait to go back and tell the other women in our church and in our community that they are princesses. Because as Rumko said, in Kenya, especially the women, are really treated very much as property. They have very, very difficult lives. And for them to hear this message and embrace this truth, they said, a number of them said to me at the end of that retreat weekend, thank you, Jennifer, for coming with this message. Um, we are now free. And uh, and then to go back again this last November and see a number of these women again and to meet more women that they have been sharing this message with and to see how this message is setting these these Kenyans free. And she said, it's changing our marriages, it's changing our families, it's changing our churches, and it's changing our communities because we know who we are, and who Christ is in us. We finally know the truth of our true identity. And so as women, you know, we have many roles. We wear many hats. We can be a, a wife, a mother, a daughter. Um, we may have a job. And a lot of times we can slip into the fact that we think that that's where our identity comes from. 
But we really need to know the core of who we are in Christ and whose we are in him because that then impacts all those other roles. When you know who you are in Christ and you are secure in that, then whatever happens with all those other things going on in your life, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change God's opinion of you. It doesn't change who you are, no matter what anybody else may say about you. I spent many, many years searching after who I really was. And it was through all these different things, jobs, sports, um, you know, relationships. And it, it was never, it was never it. I knew this isn't it. Um, until I really knew who I was in Christ, that I was truly set free. And there's the great result of knowing who we are in Christ and embracing that truth. And because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we have life and freedom. But we need to believe it, and then we can be set free. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the less we think about ourselves. My microphone just go off. I don't know. Um, I'll talk. I'll try to talk louder. <laughs> and um, you know, the less we think about ourselves, it's almost like we have to get over ourselves. Um, you know, and then we can be so self-absorbed and so concerned about our own needs and everything. But when we can let go of that and know who we are in Christ, we can focus on Him and everything that He is in our lives and everything that He does with us. We're set free in so many different ways. Now, first of all, I do recognize that I'm not worthy apart from my life in Him. Um, and it, as it says in, uh, you know, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So that means without that, I can, I can do nothing. I'm set free from the lies that kept me locked in captivity. Freedom from fear and worry. Um, I spent many years terrified of getting cancer because my mother died of leukemia when I was 25 years old. She was only 52. And I kept thinking, you know, it's all, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of what and when. And I lived in that fear for many years and we had a couple of, I had a couple of scares along the way and I was, I was in a panic and thought, what am I going to do? And then I was okay. And then, uh, five days after I got back from Kenya, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And from the minute I got the word, or actually I knew before I went to Kenya, I knew it was a possibility. But from the minute that I knew it was a possibility, God just came in and gave me this incredible peace. And I never felt afraid. I never felt worried. I just had this peace throughout the whole experience. And I thought, Lord, you set me free from that fear of cancer, from that fear of that worry. And and it was an amazing journey of just being built up in him through that. Um, it was incredible. Um, it was almost like that. It was almost like it became a gift that God gave me to experience that and to go through it. Um, and how he met me in that, and how other people, I never felt so loved as I did when I went through that experience. And so um, we can be set free from so many fears and anxiousness, um, and sometimes God has to take us right through it to show us that he wants to set us free from that. Um, I can be set free from pride, for looking for approval and affirmation from others, from a fear of rejection, which was a major part of my life growing up, he helps us to see the world around us through his eyes. And when we know who we are in him, we're secure in him and our relationship with him. I'm accepting of how God made me and knowing it was with great purpose. You know the verse Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a, a future and a hope. And um, 
it was, you know, I never knew that, that God would have me going around and sharing this message, much less across the, the ocean to another culture and country. But um, God can show you. He has a purpose for your life. He, he made you with a purpose. And part of discovering what that purpose is is to understand who you are in him. And in that, he will begin to reveal to you what that purpose is. And it is good and it is perfect. And to know that is so uh, fulfilling. I'm able to forgive others, which brings me freedom and will bring freedom in my relationship. One of the wonderful things about walking in your true identity is that you can allow other people to walk in theirs. That you're not so worried about what they think about you, what they might, or what you can get from them, or what you think you need to tell them how they should live their life. But you're free to let them be free in who they are. And it's, and, and you're able to be in a place to forgive, to let go, and it's, it's really wonderful when you can be in that place where relationships can then be redeemed. And you can all be operating out of your true identity and free in that. And I'm free to move from an inward focus to an upward and an outward focus. You know, Satan wants us all to be what I call belly button gazers. <laughs> no, we're all so inward focused with our own uh, worries and cares. And it's not that we shouldn't be concerned about those things, but we can be so absorbed in it you know, throwing pity parties and feeling the world owes us because we are a victim um, or we're locked in a woe-me attitude, and God wants us to be free of that and to focus on him. And I find that the more I focus on the Lord and the more I, I know him and I know the truth about him, you know, the less I think about a lot of those other things that tend to bring us down. There's a great joy, and there's also a great joy and fulfillment, which I'm sure a lot of you have experienced when you can help others. You know, we can get outside ourselves and help others, um, as Jesus commanded us to do, to love others as we love ourselves. Um, and then I'm free to love others with God's unconditional love. As I said before, to see them, to see other people through God's eyes. And um, I don't have time to share with it today, but I, it was an incredible story of freedom with my stepmother, who we had a, a bad relationship for a number of years, and God redeemed that relationship through being able to love her as God as God loved her. Uh, we're able to trust God and step out in faith outside of our comfort zone and do what he is calling us to do. Have you ever felt like there's something that you kind of felt God was nudging you to do and you're like, oh, I don't think I could do that, Lord. I'm not sure about that. Well, trust him because if you do, if you don't, you're going to miss out. I think I, it would have been real easy for me. <laughs> I, I'm... I'm very by nature very quiet introverted kind of person and god has been pushing me outside my comfort zone for the last six years and it just keeps getting more and more well let's go to kenya oh well let's go to peru now let's go here and let's do this and i'm like oh really lord but you know it's been such a huge blessing i would not have wanted it any other way so be willing to step out and trust and when you look in the mirror remember how god sees you and when you look in the mirror of god's word his truth of who he says you are, how he sees you, that's what's most important of who we are and that we embrace that in his word. So what is the one thing that is probably the core of what we would want you to take home with this? Um, 
I want to tell you a little bit about my story in, in this respect. You may have heard it before, you may may not, but um, we moved here in, in 2007. And we moved here in faith from Southern California, where I pastored a church for four years. And I came here expecting that I would roll right into another ministry, because that's who I was. That's who I thought I was. I was a minister. I had a long pedigree of ministry in, in nonprofit and revival and prayer ministry and pastorate and chaplaincy, you name it, marriage ministry. Surely there would be whoom, an open door. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing opened up. No open doors. No ministries. This was at the beginning of the economic pro- uh, crisis. Churches were laying off staff. They were not hiring. Uh, nonprofit ministries were struggling. People weren't giving, etc., etc. And I was befuddled, to say the least. And God captured my attention, and He said, "I don't want you to enter into a ministry for a while. I want you to spend time with me." I want a relationship with you. And as I began uh, a period of several months of spending time with God with nothing but a Bible and a journal, sitting on a back porch on a day-to-day basis, listening to the Lord and allowing Him to speak in my life, He made it known to me that my relationship with Him was a business relationship. I worked for Him in the ministry, and I expected Him to provide for me and to help me. To do that work. And I had not realized that that is a profoundly wrong relationship. And for people in quote unquote professional ministry, like pastorates and things like that, that's a huge trap you can fall into. Is to think that, you know, your relationship with God is all about the ministry. Reading the Bible to see what your next sermon is going to be like. And uh, praying about stuff in the church and stuff in the ministry and this and that. And not getting to know God as a father and being a son and a daughter. And that's what he wanted for me. And I realized something. I realized that especially in our success and task-oriented United States of America, and especially among men in that, we very easily fall into the trap of thinking that we have to work for God and that our relationship with Him is only that of a servant serving God and running around doing this or doing that for God. That's not what He wants. He wants our servanthood to come out of our sonship and our daughterhood. He wants first and foremost for us to embrace our identity as princes and princesses, as sons and daughters. Of course, princes and princesses in the kingdom of God does not mean lying back on a set of nice linen cushions or silk cushions waiting to be served by others. That's not how Jesus demonstrated it. But he wants us to embrace that identity and to let our working, our serving, our doing for God come out of our being. If we let our being coming out of our doing, I am this because I do that. I am a minister because I pastor a church. And that is my identity. We put the cart before, uh, 
yeah, the cart before the horse. Got to get these into right order. We put the cart before the horse. That is not what God wants. The power of our service for Him, the power of our ministry, the power of your ministry with the gifts that He has given you comes out of your being and is in direct proportion with your understanding of who Christ is in you and who you are in Christ. God is not satisfied with anything less. The foundation for everything that you are and everything that you do on a day-to-day basis has to be the fact that you wake up every day as a son and a daughter of the living God, of the King of Kings, and you greet Him as your dad. And you relate to him as your dad. No matter what you do, that is what God wants for us, first and foremost. For us to understand that we are his children and then to act like it. So we need to learn to abide on a day-to-day basis. And so this is what we want to close with and encourage you to think about this week. To greet each day and say to yourself, I am a prince, I am a priest, I am a son, I am a daughter, I am a princess, I am a priestess. Lord, I enter into this day. Or simply put your legs over the edge of the bed and say, good morning, dad, I'm here. Let's begin this day together. And you have taken a step closer to embracing your true identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for that amazing miracle. I just, um, my heart just leaps when I read this list of blessings of Ephesians chapter 1 of all that Christ purchased. And as we go into this Holy Week, this Easter season, and the somberness of remembering the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that it cost Him to purchase our sonship and daughtership, I pray that You would deepen our understanding of what that means to us on a day-to-day basis, far beyond the atonement for our sins, that Your desire for us is to have an intimate relationship with you, in which we come to understand you as our father, as our dad, who delights in spending time with his children, providing for them, protecting them, empowering them, and who wants nothing more for us to do all that you have created us to be out of that understanding. So I pray that by the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit, you would, in this coming week, open our eyes to the depth of that and the truth of that because these are the deeper things of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been a delight to be with you. Have a blessed, blessed Easter. That was lovely. And you know, I struggle around and mess up with these Bible verses from time to time. And so I chose the one this week that is for Palm Sunday. And in the beginning, when I had first written that down, I left off the King of Israel. 
And as I reread and thought this week, I added it back. I sometimes leave words a little shorter because Judy would prefer they be as short as they can. But anyway, the Bible verse for this week, they took the palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And five days later, because they called him the King of Israel, he was dead.